when you see traffic policemen or women holding up their hands in the middle of a busy intersection to tell you to stop to everyone's amazement, or at least you should be in amaze, is that the cars listen to their directions. Why is it that all the cars stop and obey a little man standing in the middle of the street holding out his hands to tell them to stop? It is not because his hands are so strong that like Superman, if a car decides to not obey, the car would be totaled. If you put yourself in their shoes, they put their life on the line whenever they go out to the middle of an intersection, put their hands up, tell the cars to stop, and just so a car decides not to stop, they would be dead. What is it that makes them so personally strong that they have the willingness and the fearlessness to stand in the middle of oncoming traffic and tell those cars to stop? It is because of the authority that he possesses when he wears that uniform. The full authority of the MMDA or the PNP backs him as he's able to stand in front of oncoming traffic without fear, hold up his hand and ask them to stop as he directs traffic. As Christians, where do we find the authority and the power that allows us to stand fearless before the world's oncoming traffic? When the world is rushing at us, do we say, well, you know what? I'm going with them. Or do we have the fearlessness to stand as the world comes with an onslaught and say, stop. I stand for Christ. This morning, we continue our new series in the book of Daniel entitled Fearless. We want to continue to learn some spiritual principles that will help us, aid us, Live boldly for Christ instead of, as many Christians do, cowering in fear. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as we continue our study in the book of Daniel. For those of you who are new to the Bible, the book of Daniel is in the Old Testament, session with the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you get to Daniel. We're going to take a look at Daniel, chapter 2, verse 1 to 24, this morning. If you remember from last week, Daniel and his three friends had passed their three-year test. They had passed their three-year examination with the highest of marks. And now they've been put into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. He has brought them into his courts to serve as wise men. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 1. It says here, now in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign... Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants to dream and we will give the interpretation. What we find out in verse 1 is that King Nebuchadnezzar had a reoccurring dream. This dream bothered him. Usually we forget dreams after five minutes we wake up unless we tell someone. 
But he was so bothered by this dream that God put into his mind, and we're going to study this dream in a few weeks, that it kept bothering him and it kept reoccurring, and he wanted to find out the significance of why he was having these dreams. So as usual, he called his advisors, he called his so-called wise men to come and to help him interpret this reoccurring dreams. Now you've got to understand that the Babylonians were very mystical people. They practiced a lot of fortune-telling, They practiced the dark arts. And so they placed a lot of significance in dreams, especially the ones that their leader, the king, had, especially dreams that reoccurred. Perhaps the gods, little g, was talking through him. It was apparently very common for the king to have his dreams interpreted by the wise men of Babylon. As we study the book of Daniel, there will be a lot of references to dreams. And you may wonder, does God continue to speak to us in dreams? As a bit of a side note, let me just tell you, in the Old Testament, surely God would use dreams to speak to his people. He would speak to the Jews and he would always speak to the Gentiles. He would speak to Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20 and even to great Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 41. In the dispensation of the Old Testament, God spoke through dreams. But nowadays, in our what we call our dispensation, our economy of rule, the church age that we are a part of, when the Bible, the canon, has been completed, the last book, the Revelation, has been closed, God no longer speaks through dreams. It is through His Word. And the prompting of the Spirit, through the reading of His Word, is how we hear God. It is how God speaks to us. His special revelation through His revealed Word, the Bible, is how God speaks to us. So He doesn't need to speak through dreams anymore. And so I'm always very skeptical. Although it is very hard to argue from experience because your dreams are very vivid. Some of you wake up terrified if you have a nightmare. Dreams are very vivid. And so, But I'm very skeptical when someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, I've had a dream from God. And God spoke to me. God speaks through his word. It is complete. The book of the Revelation says, do not add any more to this book. Oftentimes, you know how cults, C-U-L-T, cults are founded. They are founded when their supposed leader and prophet receive a dream from God, a, a special revelation, a visitation from God. And supposedly God tells them, would you go form a special church? Or a special movement. Cults such as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Mormons or or, or Christian Science or Jehovah's Witnesses. Those cults began when their leader said they experienced a dream from God. And yet the dreams that they had oftentimes contradicted what the Bible has to say. They claimed that God spoke through them. And now that they represent God and men should follow them. So, my friends, be very careful when someone claims that God speaks to them through dreams. God has spoken through his word. Anyway, people have always been curious about the future. They've always used many a means to predict coming events. And the Babylonians were no different. They used different magics to find out what the future holds for them. It's always very interesting. You know, if our destiny is already set... 
If God has a wonderful plan for us, which in His sovereignty He does, what does knowing about the future help us? And yet all of us, many of us, sometimes Christians, go running to the fortune tellers, to the psychics, so that they can reveal to us what the future holds. We can't change the future. We are going to be judged on how we live with the time that we have. Well, the Babylonians were no different. And in verse 2, we find out that the Babylonians use many methods to try to, to, to discover the future. In verse 2, Daniel mentions four different groups. He mentions the magicians, the hartuminum. They were evidently scholars who could divine the future by using various means. The second group are the conjurers, the enchanters, the asaphim. They apparently could communicate with the dead. They had the sorcerers, macassophemes. They practiced sorcery and they would cast spells. And then you had the Chaldeans, the astrologer, the Chasdims. This referred to the priestly caste who studied the heavens to determine the future. We call this astrology. And you know, surprisingly, a lot of their astronomical charts, their zodiac sign, were quite accurate. I mean, they knew the heavens. And that's why I mentioned last week, as we celebrate Christmas in a few months, we hear about the wise men from the east. Many scholars believe these wise men came from this area of Babylon because they knew the heavens so well. And when the Shekinah glory of God in the presence of the star over Bethlehem came, they said, whoa, there's a star that doesn't belong there. Let's go check it out. And remember, they traveled for a year by faith until they saw the child Jesus Well, these so-called wise men were so confident in their abilities that they told the king, tell us your dream. We will give an interpretation. Well, they're in for a real surprise. Look at verse 5 to verse 6. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut to pieces and your houses shall be made as an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive the me, from me gifts, rewards, and, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. The king said, I will not tell you the dream. Tell me the interpretation and the dream. I want to know if you're telling me the truth. If you're so good at predicting the future, you magicians, you wise men... Then tell me my dream. Why did Nebuchadnezzar say this? Maybe this dream was so important to him. There was something special about this dream. And we're going to find out later it's from God. But he got tired of the making up stuff. Maybe he realized that sometimes his magicians, his dabbler in the dark arts would get things wrong. I mean, they were pretty good. They got about 50%, right? But this was so important a dream that he wasn't going to mess this up. He says, if you really can interpret the future, tell me the dream. Now, my friends, understand, predicting the future, prophesying, is not about getting it right the majority of the time. The Bible tells us in the scriptures, the true prophet has to get prophecy correct 100% of the time. If he just makes one mistake... 
One mistake. Then he is classified as a false prophet. And the Bible says he is to be killed. If you get a thousand prophecies right and you mess up on one, you are a false prophet. You see, the standard that God has set is perfection. Because God is a holy God. God doesn't get things wrong. And therefore, his prophets better not get things wrong either. People like Nostradamus, who people say, wow, he was an ancient prophet. He is a false prophet. Now, he made some supposed observations, and people say, well, you about 60% right. 60% right in prophetic foretelling is not good enough. You got 40% wrong. You're a false prophet of God. You should be killed. So be very careful when you claim to speak for God, because God holds those who speak for him in very high regard and under great, great judgment for those who get it wrong. What the king was asking them was telling him, if you're really good, tell me the dream and the interpretation. It's like, I hope you don't, but if it's like going to the fortune teller or going to a psychic and say, tell me my fortune. Can I have your birth date? No, you can't have my birth date. You go to a palm reader. Hey, can I have your palm? No, you can't read my palm. Tell me my future. They can't do it. No one can do it. Many of fortune tellers' powers are truly demonic. They're of the evil one. And so sometimes we wonder, how how come they get it right or seem to get it right? A lot of them are frauds. They're charlatans. And even though they're frauds, they may not have demonic work in there, but it's also a work of Satan because Satan seeks to deceive. My friends, understand this. Only God knows the future. Only God knows the future. Not Satan, not his demons. Now you say, but they're very accurate. The things that I've read, and yes, they are very accurate, some of them. And they seem to be very good, but they cannot be 100% correct. Satan and his demons do not know the future. They seem to make what is accurate predictions because what? They know a lot about us. For example, you've got to understand a little bit of theology Angels and demons do not die. They have seen the first day man was created until now. They have six, seven, eight thousand years of human history. They've, they've seen it all. Nothing is a surprise to them. They will be punished later by God, but they don't die. And there are many of them. Remember, one third of all good angels became demons. And so they may be in the sanctuary right now hearing us expose them. They're here. They're all around. They're looking into your life. They know what is happening. So they know about you and they they have a reporting system. The Bible tells us they have a hierarchy. And we'll get to that in Daniel chapter 10 to 12. And so they know our movements. And so if you go to a fortune teller who's demonically possessed or, or, or has demonic influence, and you say, would you go read out my historical chart? They look at them and say, you know what? I think you're going to die a horrible death. I think you'll get cancer. Well, they don't know that. But they're probably 90% correct. Why? Because they know that great-grandpa and grandma died of cancer on both sides. And great-grandpa and grandma on the other side died of cancer. And grandpa and grandma on both sides died of cancer. And mom and dad died of cancer. Guess what? Genetically, you're predisposed to dying of cancer. It's scientific. 
And they know that. You may not have known that, but they know that. And they look at your name and they say, well, you're going to die a horrible death. How did you know? They don't know the future. They're just very good guessers. Or they know your lifestyle and you like to ride a motorcycle without helmets and you especially like going out when it's raining and you like to weave in and out of traffic. And you go to a fortune teller and say, will I live long? The fortune teller doesn't have to be very smart when you tell him about your lifestyle. He says, no, I don't think you're going to live very long. Because people who ride their motorcycles without helmets and like to go out in the rain and like to weave through traffic probably won't live very long. They are frauds. They are charlatans. But they're good at it. The king says, well, if you can predict the future, if you're so good, then you should be able to reconstruct the past. Tell me the dream. Now, you've got to understand that only God knows what is in our mind. This dream is from God. Not even Satan and his demons knew this dream, because if they did, they would whisper into the ears of the magicians, and then the king would get his dream. Apparently, Satan and his demons didn't know what the dream was. There are limitations. Look at verse 7 to verse 9. Look at their plea. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servant the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time. You're stalling because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. These magicians knew that they were had. They said, king, 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 we will interpret it, promise. Just tell us the dream. But the king got angry. He got tired of them stalling. You're stalling for time. In fact, look at verse 9. He changed what he wanted. He said, okay, okay, you don't even have to tell me the interpretation. That's what he said in verse 9. Tell me the dream. Just tell me the dream. I don't care about the interpretation. Let me see how good you are. Just tell me the dream. I don't need to know the interpretation. Well, they couldn't do it. Why? Because of two limitations. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magicians, astrologers, or Chaldeans. They said, we have a limitation. We can't do it. There is no one on earth, king, who can tell you what your dream is. Even your forefathers knew this. They've never requested such a thing from us before. You know, if they were in a job interview and Nebuchadnezzar was the boss, they were basically telling their boss, boss, I can't do it. No one can. You don't go into a job interview saying, I can't do it. And that's exactly what they're doing, which is very surprising. They are saying, we have limitations. We, we can't do it. We don't have the power that you think. I'm thinking the king's probably thinking then, why do I have so many of you? Why have I hired so many? Four different groups of them. And none of you can figure this one out. Look at verse 11. They should have stopped talking at verse 10, but they went on in verse 11. 
It is a difficult thing that the king has request, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Do you know what these people have just said in verse 11? They have just said, King, the only one who can know the future are the gods, little g. Man is not supposed to know the future. Only gods can, and the gods do not dwell with us in flesh. You know what they've just said? King, we've been lying to you all these years. Because in verse 11, he has just said, only the gods can know the future. Then he's probably thinking, King Nebuchadnezzar is probably thinking, then why have you been pretending and telling me interpretations all these years? They just shot themselves in the foot. He was saying, these gods don't care about you. They do not dwell in flesh. They're up there in heaven, and they want you to do stuff for them. And that's how a lot of gods are, false gods. To the extent of sacrificing chicken and, and back in the ancient times, children. Those were selfish gods. Little g. Who said, bring me things and maybe I will give you good crops. Maybe I will turn the typhoon away from you. Maybe I won't bother you. And if you've been in the series from John Ye, Reverend John Ye this weekend, you find out that the belief in these little god G's where they want certain things, where demons are always there to attack us, which has affected so much of our culture, we live in fear of them. What a great contrast to our God, the one true God, who says, you don't have to do anything for me. I've done everything for you. That is a God of love. Christmas time, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. The Almighty God who took on bodily form, incarnate, so that he could walk amongst his people. Not to live, but to die. Imagine that. The God of the universe would care so much for us that he would become flesh to die for us. These magicians and their false gods said, King, can't tell you. Our gods don't like you. Our gods don't care about you. Our gods are up in the heavens. They do not walk in fleshly forms. They have admitted they are lying all the time. You want to see what the king's reaction is? Look at verse 12 and 13. For this reason, the king, note this, was angry and very furious. And he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began to kill the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well. Nebuchadnezzar, historically, is not a guy you want to mess with. He had a temper. And since you magicians have just told me you lied, I'm not going to slap you on the wrist. I'm going to kill you, all of you, every one of you wise men. I'm so sick and tired of you. And if you read historically about King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he was one of the most ruthless, ruthless leaders in all of ancient history. What he decreed was as good as gold. It wasn't like the Persians We'll get to that a little bit later, where he had to go through some satraps and whatnot. 
But whatever the king of Babylon said was law. And he said, kill all the wise men. And so Daniel and his three friends, probably junior counselors at that time, were not with the senior trusted advisors. Remember, they were still young. They were in the king's court. This edict, this law, fell to them as well because they were classified as wise men. Verse 14 to 15. I love, the, I love this. Then with counsel and wisdom. You know, you know Daniel was never represented as this, as this reckless, fearless prophet. He was probably the most distinguished of the prophets. A man who was from nobility, remember, from chapter 1. A man who knew how to approach people. A man who knew how to spoke with eloquence. Remember how he approached uh, the guard who was in charge of him. With counsel and wisdom, the Bible says, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. When you have found out that all the wise men, because the king was very angry, were to be killed, you know what? What would you do? I know what I'd do. In this vast empire of Babylon, I'm thinking, he can't find me. I'm going to pack my bags, and I'm going to go to the farthest regions of this empire and just go hiding. I may go to China. I may go to deep, dark Africa. I'm getting away, and I've got time. That's probably all the wise men, because they're wise men, get it? Wise. If they're wise, they're packing their bags and they're fleeing Babylon. Daniel comes back and he says to Arioch, I need to see the king. And he stood fearless before the king. Now you say, well, that's Daniel. He's a man of God. He does things like this. Let me ask you this. At this point of the story, does Daniel know the dream? No. At this point of the story, does Daniel know the interpretation? No. Here is a man who knows nothing. Zero, nothing. And he goes to the king and says to the king, King, I will tell you the dream and its interpretation. God has not revealed to him a thing. You want to talk about fearless? You want to talk about trust in God? There it is right there. Because Daniel knew his God so well that he knew that his God, his true God, Yahweh, would be the God who reveals to him or can reveal the dream. And if God chooses not to reveal the dream to Daniel, then Daniel would be killed. That is a man who is fearless. He went to the king knowing nothing. But he knew the ability and the power of the one true God. The one he worshipped. We as Christians are so afraid to stand up for our faith because the God we believe in is not a very big God. We don't know God well enough to believe that he can do anything. The God we believe in, the one we worship, is not big enough to handle my problems, is not big enough to handle my family and my friends, is not big enough to protect me in my time of need. 
And when we don't believe in a God who is that great and powerful, then of course we would cower in fear. Daniel knew his God. He knew his characteristic. He knew just how powerful he was. That is why he's able to stand before the king. Look at verse 17 to verse 19. Then Daniel went to his house. Oh, by the way, let me forget. I forgot to tell you this. What was the one thing that the king reprimanded the magicians for? For stalling time. You're stalling. No more time. Can you imagine the bravery of Daniel? What did Daniel ask for? King, could you give me more time? Now, Daniel and his king must have had a great relationship or a special relationship. We're not sure. The Bible doesn't say. Perhaps Daniel had, had interpreted dreams previously. Maybe not for the king. We don't know. But by the grace of God, he changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart to give Daniel some more time. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. You remember last week we talked about Daniel's diet, the Daniel diet. The Daniel's diet to shed your fear and to gain fearlessness. There were three steps to the Daniel diet. I hope you still remember it from last week, if those of you who were here. Step one, resolve. Step two, ask for help. Good. Step three, see God work. You will see Daniel employ this diet to help him stand fearless. He resolved. He said, I will go to the king of Babylon and I will tell him, my God can reveal to me your dream and its interpretation. If you don't resolve to do that, he's packing his bags and he's running to the far reaches of the empire. Step two, I will ask for help. And we see that in verse 17 and 18. Daniel says, I can't do this by myself. This is a spiritual war. What does he do? He comes and he finds his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he says, hey guys, would would you pray with me? They were going to ask God for help. And he asked his friends to help him ask God. And guess what? In verse 19, they saw God work. They saw God work. It's as simple as that. Verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Note this. For wisdom and might are his. In verses 20 to 23, Daniel blesses God. It's a prayer to God. And here in this prayer, we can extrapolate, we can see the two characteristics of God that Daniel identifies, that Daniel knows so well to help him to become fearless. And I hope these are the two characteristics of God that you take away this week. These were the two characteristics that allowed Daniel, who knew nothing, to stand before the king of Babylon and say, I can interpret your dream and interpretation. For wisdom and might are his. Those are the two. In verse 21a, Daniel saw evidences of God's power. 
And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. Daniel understood that his God, the one true God, the omnipotent God, is the God who controls the seasons. He is the God who controls the universe. He is the one who, who changes time, if time can be changed, which it can, when God made the sun stand still for Joshua. That's how mighty God is. A lot of you experienced a typhoon last week. You were only experiencing the outer bands of a Category 2 storm that was 300 kilometers to the north. And a lot of you have experienced greater typhoons. And you are amazed at its power. Our God is greater. That He is able to tell the storm systems, Peace be still. And even nature listens to Him. You ever go take a look at the stars away from the night pollution of Manila? Go to the province and look in this night sky. And I don't know about you, but I'm always in awe at those thousands and thousands of stars. And I just realize I'm so insignificant with those many universes and those planets and those worlds, billions of stars that God has created. And to know that God holds all of that in his hand amazes me. That's how powerful our God is. Just stand in awe at what He's done, at the power of the ocean, and just how insignificant you are. And the only response is, wow. For wisdom and power are His. God's power is seen in His control of the destiny of nation. He sets up kings and He deposes them. Daniel remembered that Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne because God determined that he would be on the throne. God is more powerful than the most powerful dictator and emperor. God can so strike them down if he so wishes. He will tell the king of Babylon in a few chapters, you think you're so great? You think you're the king of the world? Let me show you who's king. Go eat grass and walk like an animal. And he did that. My friends, when you recognize the power and the authority and the sovereignty of God, you will be able to stand before kings. Remember last week I challenged you, how many of you would have the bravery and the fearlessness when called upon to stand at a sidewalk corner and preach the gospel? And if you were honest with yourself, a lot of you would say, I I, I can't do this. Now I'm asking you, how many of you would be able to stand before the kings of this world, the rulers, the presidents, the prime ministers, and speak of your God, knowing that they did not believe? When you can recognize the power of God over earthly authority, you can be like Paul who stood before Governor Festus and Felix and even to the great Caesar. You can be like Moses, who's able to stand before Pharaoh. You can be like Daniel, who stood before Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and told them the God of the universe is more powerful than you. Can you imagine that? You can stand before kings when you recognize the power of God.
But we do not recognize His power. And so we can't even stand up in our group of drinking buddies, in our group of family and friends, to our bosses. We cannot stand up and be witnesses because we are so afraid of them. Why is that? Because we do not acknowledge the power of God. When you recognize the power of God, you have nothing to fear. When we get to Daniel in the lion's den, when we get to the fiery furnace story, don't think for a second that Daniel was not afraid of lion. Oh, I'm not afraid of lions. No big deal. I'll be like Samson of old and tear them apart. Daniel was deathly afraid of lions if you're a normal person like he was. Don't think those three friends of his said, oh, I'm not afraid of fire. Look, I can touch my hand in a candle. Not the same. They were deathly afraid, as we would all would be. But they all knew their God so well that they knew that their God, our God, has the ability to shut the lion's mouth. Our God has the ability to not allow us to be burned even in fire. And if he chooses to do so, praise the Lord. If he chooses not to do so, I accept. But I know that my God can do this. That is how you become fearless. In verse 21b and 22, God, Daniel saw evidences of God's wisdom. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. Evidences of God's wisdom are, are seen in his imparting wisdom to the wise. God knows and can reveal the future. It is not Daniel. It is not how smart Daniel is. It's never been about Daniel. Daniel knew nothing when he went to the king. But it is God who gives wisdom. It is God who gives prophetic knowledge. God knows all. And if God doesn't want you to understand anything, He will close up your mind. It doesn't matter how much you study, you will come out all confused. But if He opens up your minds to things that no one else have ever thought about of, He can. All wisdom comes from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of us fear standing up for our faith because we don't know what words we will say. If we stand out on a limb and someone throws a question at us and we can't answer it, we might as well not have taken a step for him. If people jeer us and curse us, how are we going to answer them? And so, so we shut our mouths because we're so scared. Pastor, wait until I get a PhD in theology. Wait until I get a master's degree in theology. Then I will go live this life for you. Wait until I'm smart enough and I can be able to answer the questions that people ask. My friends, all wisdom comes from God. And if he so chooses, as you step boldly by faith, he will give you the words to say. Daniel knew nothing when he stood before the king. But he knew that his God knows, knows everything. That is where he got his confidence. 
to know that God will give us the right words to say. And you know what? Even if we mess up the words that we say, which I often do on a Sunday morning, God will still use those words because they are His words to change lives. Prophets like the great prophet Jeremiah said to the Lord, Lord, I, I don't know what to say. I have nothing to say to my people. God said to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't worry. I will put my words in your mouth. Now go out there and speak what I tell you. Remember Moses? God, don't choose me. I, 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 I stammer. Choose my brother Aaron. Let him stand before Pharaoh. God says, Moses, Moses, Moses. I've called you. I will give you the words to say to Pharaoh. And you can bring Aaron along if you'd like for moral support. God gives wisdom to those who are willing to stand fearless for him. Look how Daniel closes his prayer of thanks in verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my Father. You have given me, note this again, wisdom and might. And now have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Daniel says, thank you, Lord, for your power and your wisdom. Now I will tell the king what he dreamt. And look at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. You remember what the king asked for at the very beginning? He asked for the dream and the interpretation. He lowered the standards and said, All right, guys, just tell me the dream. I know it's going to be a hard thing. Daniel goes up to him and says, Nebuchadnezzar, I can tell you the dream and the interpretation. That which you originally asked for. Because I will show you that the God of heaven is more powerful than you. He went to the chief who was in charge of who was executing him. Told him with great confidence, I can do it. My friends, to stand fearless, we must realize that none of us can do anything apart from God. We must first recognize our inability. Even the magicians said, we are unable. You see, God cannot use people who are full of themselves. Who says, okay, God, God, I'm, I'm going to psych myself up. All right. You give me good looks. You give me good eloquence. I'm the, the one who's going to be fearless before you. God says, no, no, no. I need people who are unable. I need people who are humble. Because I will be the one who does the work. Glory will be mine. I do not share my glory with another. You see, those who place greater confidence in their own ability will find themselves fearful. Because we are so limited in our ability. If we think we can do it all by ourselves, we will get more fearful. The difference between Daniel and the magician, the magicians of Babylon, was that he knew that his God was able. And it was a God who not only 
lived up in the heavens and didn't care about his people, but it was a God who answers the prayers of his people and a God who loves his people. When you recognize the might and the power of God, you become fearless. As an application, I want to remind you again of the 168 challenge. A lot of you have done it. All you type A people have probably finished it this week. Do another one. I don't know. It's a six-month thing. I want to remind this to you again. We're going to practice this together so that we can stand fearless. And, you know, after last week, some of you may have said, you know what? Pastor, you've given me the, the, the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. If I invite people to church, they're going to think I'm crazy and a religious fanatic. It's all right. When we all look at this challenge, I even raise my hand and say, you know what? I can't do this. No one is able to do it. But my God can. So the one in the 168, would you go invite someone to church and then see God work that they come to church? It's easy to invite But to see God work is to see them come. Not for a tour of the church. To sit in a service. Six. Would you go out and make six new friendships? People you didn't know about before. Extend to them a hand. This may absolutely terrify you. You know, you may want to live a hermit's life. You may come to church and say, don't bother me. And you know what? I respect that. If you don't want to get to know anyone in this church, if you just are here to hide out, no problem. I respect you. I still love you. But for the majority of you, you need to go out and make some friends. Six people, six in six months, one a month. It's nice and easy. Not too bad. Just shake your hands with someone. And I'll give you a few freebies along the way. It's easy. Six. Last one is eight. Eight business cards that... I want to challenge you to pass out. If you didn't get one last week, uh, there are some left in the back. We passed out more than a thousand of these packets uh, last week, but we have some in the back and we're printing some more. If you're done with passing out eight, go get eight more. These are an opportunity for you to be challenged to go out and be bold about something. And if you can't be proud about your own church, then you know what? I can't help you. But a place that you go to every weekend is not a place that is a secret to other people. So invite them. Now, don't be like my wife. I would expect that my wife knows what I'm doing. But just last week, yesterday, we went to Save More. And she bought uh, some medicine at, uh, the pharma, at Watson's at Save More. And she gave a card to the pharmacist. Uh, that, that's, that's great and good, but that's not the point. Uh, it's not uh, to pass it out to everyone you see, including your waiter and whatnot. It's, it's people strategically who, who you think would be interested, who are unchurched, who would like to perhaps be a part of our community. You got an opportunity with all the Christmas parties and November 1 coming. Just eight cards. And I challenge you, for those of you who don't have one, to go to the back. And I've already heard some great stories, and and we'll be sharing those uh, along this series. These are tough things to do. These are things we don't want to do. Because it requires us to step out on the limb when we may not have all the answers to our faith. And my friends, that is okay. Resolve to do it. Ask God to help you. And then see God work. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example of Daniel. For a man who knew nothing 
to stand before the king of Babylon is a man who knew that the king of heaven is more powerful than the king of Babylon. May that be what challenges us in our life to recognize that the rulers of this world, the people we interact with every day, cannot stand up to the king of the universe we call Abba Father. Challenge us to have the faith of Daniel knowing the characteristics of God's might and God's wisdom. Help us to resolve. Help us to humbly seek you for help. And help us to open our eyes and see you work. In Jesus' name we pray.